Welcome to Truth Unbound. I'm your host, Walter Swaim, and here's the question for today. Does God choose you, or do you choose God? We're going to find out right now. All right. Thanks again for being here. And if you're enjoying this, want to know when each podcast comes out, as soon as it comes out, and also to invite others to grow the Truth Unbound family, to know God, and to know what His Word says to the issues and trends of the day, then would you do this? Would you click on like and hit all notifications if you're doing this on YouTube, or click to follow the podcast, and then most of all, share it with everyone you can. I am so excited about doing this, and I know you are too, and I thank you for being a part of it. Now, let's get to the subject right now. All right, so you would think that eternity is a pretty big deal, right? I mean, God is telling us that after this heartbeat stops, we end up in one of two places, either heaven or hell, forever based on our decision concerning Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel message is this, and Paul tells us this clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, that it is Jesus Christ who died, was buried, and risen again. So the gospel message is that Jesus came, died for your sin and punishment and mine, took it upon himself, died for us and our sin, rose again from the dead, so that by believing in and through him alone, by faith alone, in him, we will be saved. Our sins forgiven and our home in heaven forever. Okay? Pretty simple, pretty clear, right? You would think we wouldn't mess that up in Christianity. But oh, yes, we have over and over again and continue to. And I don't know if I want to say us because I don't include myself in that group because uh, myself and many, many others in Christianity stick with the plain and clear gospel message of Jesus dead, buried, and risen again to repent of your sin and believe in him. Okay? But there has been different ways of interpreting that salvation. And one of those is what we're going to look at today. So let's take a look at it clo more closely and find out what God's Word says about it. Especially now for about the last four to 500 years, good men and women of God have argued over this question. Did God, even before creation, choose some to be saved and others not to be, even before those persons exist or make that decision? In other words, does God predestine or predetermine if people go to heaven or hell. It's called Calvinism. Now, you might ask the question about a little, just a few minutes into this, well, does this really matter? It does matter. And I promise you at the end of explaining it, I'll explain why it matters, okay? And to make sure that we stay firm in the biblical, biblical truth and idea of what salvation truly is, okay? Well, I haven't spoken on this much before, not even preached on it that much in my church, uh, but it has surged so much in popularity, especially due to some nationally known key Bible teachers and influencers, uh, that I felt that it was part of my job as declaring the whole counsel of God as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, and as a podcaster with Truth Unbound to address this situation, to address this teaching 
that is that is so large and taught so much. In fact, if you Google anything about salvation, you're probably going to get uh, the majority of of websites and responses to that uh, being Calvinist ones. And so let's be clear on what Calvinism is and what God really teaches about his salvation. And we're doing so to protect the flock of God and so that you won't be confused when you hear or read this and not be caught off guard or lulled into accepting this basically false teaching about salvation, okay? Now, many who teach what is called Calvinism, again, I'll emphasize, are not evil, not even heretics, but are good men and women of God that have just embraced this incorrect teaching for whatever of their own reasons, okay? So let's ask this, how and why do some teach that God chose people, some people to be saved, and others not to be saved. Well, let's look at some of the key passages. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verses 4, 5, and 11. Now I'm reading from the New King James Version. In verse 4 of Ephesians 1, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love. Then verse 5 says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now again, also in verse 11, it says, in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All right, so I'm, I've got the verses here in front of me on my laptop, so if you see me looking down, that's what I'm looking at. So in verse 4 and 5 and 11, they say, see, look, right there it says, before the foundation he cho- of the world, he chose us. He predestined us. In other words, he predetermined this already. Um, in verse 4, though, all you have to do is to continue looking at the rest of the verse. It's not talking, or he is not talking here, about the salvation of, of each one of us, but about a specific purpose as being those who are saved, that God predestined or pre-chose, if you will, uh, for us to carry out and to be, okay? Not that he's chosen us to be saved, but when we become saved, when we believe in him, this is what he's already predetermined we are to do, okay? So in verse 4, he says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, we're supposed to be living a blameless and a holier life because we are saved. Not saying that he chose, uh, he chose before the foundation of the world that those who would be saved one day would live a holy life before him. Okay? Not that he chose them to be saved. Now, here's uh, in verse 5, here's the other point. It says, having predestined us, to what? To, well, see, there's salvation. No, they make that leap immediately with any verse. It just clicks automatically. But let's look at what the verse really says. Having predestined us to what? To adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. In other words, he predetermined, predestined that those who would decide for him one day would be adopted into his family, become his own children. Okay? Now, Verse 11 says this, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being 
predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now look at verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Okay, so read the rest of the statement. We are predestined to be the trophies of his grace is what it's saying in verse 12, that he, we make him smile, that he shows himself off in his glory because of us, look, uh, looking at us, not to lift us up, but saying, look, it says in verse 12, those who first trusted in Christ, that as being those who trusted in Christ, not that he chose us to, but he predestined that we should be to the praise of his glory, not ours, but to his because he extended his grace to us because we believed in him, okay? Which he said is the only way to come to him. And then by his grace, he in return gives us salvation. So it's saying here, he predestined us, those who trusted in him, that trust in him in the future should be to the praise of his glory. It's simple and clear. Now look also at another key verse that they, now there's a, there are many verses they use and we're only for sake of time, we're only touching uh, a few of the key ones already that specifically use the word predestined or chose or choose. That's what we're doing here. Okay. So let's, let's look at second Thessalonians chapter five and verse 13. Okay, so here's what God's word, actually, actually, it's not 2 Thessalonians 5.13, it's chapter 2 and verse 13, my apologies. Okay, so 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay, so look again closely. Just let the Bible speak plainly for itself as it does. It says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, that God chose you for salvation. Why? Because of your belief in the truth. In other words, he chose, he determined ahead of time that those who would believe in him, okay, are saved. He chose you for salvation by belief in the truth, okay? So it, yes, it is clear, but it is clearly not saying that God chose you for salvation before you even had a chance to make that decision. To the contrary, it clearly says, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief, already believing in the truth, okay? So there it is, clearly not a Calvinist proof text. All right, so here, here's what Calvinism is saying. Because God is sovereign, okay, by being sovereign or his sovereignty, that means that God knows everything and is in control of everything, okay? So the Calvinist is saying that what these verses and many others are saying is that because God it knows everything and controls everything, he's sovereign, therefore he predetermines everything. He decides how everything will be. When in reality, that is not true with everything. With prophecy and other types of things in the scriptures, yes. But when it comes to salvation, he, he has not set it up that way. God knows the gazillions of possibilities that he, of each person's uh, various decisions that they could take. And he knows how to decide, but he still leaves it up to us because of 
free will to decide for him. So yes, he is sovereign, but he has not made the choice for us just because he is sovereign, because he has created us to have a free will. And that even still operates, even though we are in sin and we are corrupted by sin, we are still have the capability to make a choice. And that is to choose Jesus or reject him. All right, so let me back up um, a little bit with something first, okay? So going back to the point, if he is sovereign, knows and controls everything, therefore he must pre-choose or predetermine everything. That idea that he makes the choices for everything and everybody uh, as regards salvation in this instance, then that is called determinism, okay? That God's already determined, already chose for everybody the choice they're going to make, okay? So that's determinism. There are some problems with determinism. Basically, there are two, all right? So let's go over those. Okay, so problem number one with determinism. If God chose what everyone will decide, as is with salvation, then it can't be with just that alone. That means he would have decided also the evil choices that some people would make such as the guy, the, the, the person who decided to kill all those children in Uvalde, Texas this past summer. Or that someone may have decided to unleash a killer virus across the world and kill millions. Would God have done that? Well, no, because James 1.13 tells us that not only is God not evil himself or makes evil choices or makes evil choices for people, he doesn't even tempt anyone to evil. So that's the first problem with determinism. There is a second problem with this idea of God's determinism, that if God chose you to be an unbeliever and destined only to hell forever, then how is that just and fair? Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 1 and in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, all of humanity, are without excuse. So you can't give an, ex an excuse and be guilty of giving that excuse unless you are given first the opportunity to give that excuse. And how is that fair for a fair and just God to send you to hell for something you didn't even do yet? Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin the consequence of sin, the result of sin, of making that sinful choice. He says the wages of sin is death. So it is without excuse. In other words, we're, each individual is given the choice to reject or accept Christ. And in so doing, therefore, you pay the consequences for that, which is an eternity in a Christless, uh, eternity in a Christless hell or lake of fire forever. You see, God doesn't send anyone to hell. They already decide themselves to put themselves there. It is by their choice. They are without excuse. Okay, so how does this work? The idea that man has a free will, but God is still sovereign, especially as it comes to salvation. Well, let me explain it this way. A similar uh, illustration that I've heard uh, apologist Frank Tourette give, okay? So let's say right now I'm in Houston. The Astros are playing in the, uh, the conference playoffs, okay, to get to the World Series. 
so or in the American League. So it's the American League Championship. All right, so it's game one. And uh, I decide, well, I have to work during game one. All right. So having to work during game one, I decide then I'm going to record the game. I want to watch it myself and see how it comes out. I don't want to look at my phone. I don't want to have anybody else tell me what it is. I won't look. Okay. Well, the game comes, it happens, it passes. You did your job. You're at work, finished your shift. You got off work. You're on your way home. You're excited because you're going to watch this game. And your friend texts you and says, hey, I got to tell you something. You think it, maybe it's an emergency. You look at the text. He says, the Astros won. And he, so they won five to two. You're like, well, before you want to wring his neck <laughs> for doing that, um, you get home. You say, you know what? I'm going to watch the game anyway and see how it was played out and see the result that way. So does, here's the question. Because you already know the result, the final score of the game, does that change the decisions that the players made on the field? No, it doesn't. Now, you could immediately come back and say, now, wait a minute, but the players already did this. We're talking about God predetermining something that someone has not even done yet. But you need to stop right there because we remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about God. And God is above and separate from a linear timeline such as he has for us to live by. He is above and separate from that. He's not held to that. So he sees every possible choice. He knows each choice that will be made. Nevertheless, he leaves it to our free will to make that choice for it to play out. And so we make a real choice. And God does not make that choice for us beforehand. And so when we choose, if, if you choose against Christ, then therefore you are without excuse before God. You can't get to hell and go, well, God, this is your fault. You chose me to be here anyway before I even had a chance to decide. That's not the way it's going to play out. Everyone is without excuse because even though God knows the score ahead of time, you still have to do, you still have to make your choices in regards to him and salvation. All right, so let's summarize it this way. Number one, this is what God's word reveals to us, okay? Number one, God is not immoral and evil. God won't choose what people will do, good or bad. And so therefore, that's, that gets rid of Calvinism right there. Number two, God is not unfair and he is not unjust. So you can't throw your, you in hell. He can't throw you in hell for something you didn't do yet. There has to be a reason a failure before God for that punishment to be applied to you. And number three, as to why, what we know about God, and therefore it disproves Calvinism, and that is that God's grace extends salvation to us based on our decision for him. So to summarize again that third point, God's grace saves us when we decide to put our faith in Jesus. All right. So, do you remember what I said I would do at the end? <laughs> All right, I promised that I would tell you why this even matters. If it doesn't change the message of its salvation itself, why does this matter? Well, it does matter. And uh, the reason is, is because it will, uh, knowing what Calvinism is, what it teaches, and to avoid the trap of that type of theology or thinking, it will help you to avoid these problems that often come with Calvinism. Number one, it avoids arrogance. No, not every Calvinist is arrogant. And forgive me if I leave that impression that is not true. Okay. But 
I have seen it many times in those that believe deeply in Calvinism. It, it's pride. Hey, I've been chosen, and you haven't. One time in a conference in 2019, I, it, there's a video of this. I saw this video. A panel of Calvinist pastors were asked, why do so many Christians reject this teaching? And the answer of the first panelist was this, because they don't know the Bible. In other words, they're stupid. You're dummy. You're a dummy. You, you don't know your Bible good enough. You don't know it as well as I do. That's a problem. So avoid arrogance by avoiding Calvinism. Number two, it avoids despair. If you've decided to repent and follow Jesus, you're excited about see, being saved. Yay me. But if you are not and are an atheist or an agnostic, uh, it's not so good for you, is it? This just doesn't sound like the God of the Bible that you and I read of and know. It intuitively seems unfair and wrong. And it brings you to the next question then. From that naturally leads to the question of, is God immoral? Is he evil? I remember seeing a video of a guy who began to think hard and long about this Calvinism. And in the end, he became an unbeliever, at best an agnostic. And why is that? Because he felt, well, if... I'm not going to believe anyway. God chose me to not believe and to be like this anyway. Then what's the use? Then there's nothing to change. I can't change it anyway. So he remained an atheist and an agnostic. It was an attitude of despair brought on by this. God's already chosen me to be this way. Then so be it. Fine, I'll go to hell. And that is a horrible thing. It's tragic. And you never see this attitude in the apostles or the other new believers in the New Testament. They are all filled with hope, with joy, with steadiness and suffering, and hungry for God and the new forever life he has given them, and hungry to tell others about this wonderful and amazing Jesus and the gospel message. Another thing you can avoid by avoiding Calvinism is division. Division meaning in the division of church, but this teaching of Calvinism has divided entire churches, so many of them. It has also divided believers and ruined friendships between believers. I mean, it, this doctrine in, in the mind of a Calvinist and many Calvinists can be raised to the level of things that I won't be your friend over anymore. One time uh, we had this young couple come and we were helping them out and they were excited about Jesus. Uh, they became, we became very involved with this family. And then one time he asked me in passing about Calvinism, and I said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. And that was about it. We didn't have a lengthy discussion over it. Well, not long after that, I noticed they weren't there a Sunday, and then a second Sunday. And so I texted him, said, hey, we miss you guys. Hope you're okay. And uh, next thing I know, he sends me a text saying, well, we're not coming back to the church because you don't believe in Calvinism. And it hurt many of our people who had invested much in them and very, very disappointed. And so this can cause division at the deepest level when it doesn't have to. So avoid Calvinism's trap of division. And lastly, and this is only with what you would classify as hyper-Calvinists. Uh, a lot of Calvinists are, are even leading and a part of growing churches that lead people to Christ. So that's, that's not what I'm saying. But in the hyper-Calvinist camp, but it's big enough that I want to mention it. And that is this. By avoiding Calvinism, you'll avoid the temptation to not want to share the gospel with others. Why is that? Because 
again, and you probably are guessing this already with me, that if a person is already chosen by God to be saved, then, well, let them come. We don't have to go out and get them. They're going to come anyway by their own accord because God's drawing them, and then we'll, they'll be a part of our congregation. And that, my friend, is tragic to believe that or to think that. It also is a direct disobedience, it's direct disobedience to the command of Christ who said, go into all the world and make disciples of all people. Look, I know that this has uh, been a long and tedious debate for the last 400, years. And in, in recent, more modern times, it kind of has faded away and then it's come back real strong. And especially among younger believers uh, in recent years, this has become like the cool thing to, to grab a hold of and believe. Um, but as we've examined already, just in this, just scratching the surface, we've seen how really unbiblical the doctrine is. That leap from, well, God knows everything to he's going to choose everything in everybody's mind for them uh, is just a huge leap that is just virtually not in the scriptures. And so I hope that this has been a help to you so that you'll avoid the traps of Calvinism. I love my Calvinist brothers and sisters. I mean that sincerely. Some of my good friends are Calvinists, and we've remained friends. So uh, again, just avoid it, and there's biblical reasons why. I hope I've given you some of the key ones. And uh, again, feel free to comment or reply in the comments section below uh, this podcast. Uh, thank you again for being a part of Truth Unbound. And uh, again, I just wanna ask you if you would click on like, to, to help spread the word of Truth Unbound, the word of God itself through Truth Unbound Ministries. So just click on like, hit subscribe, and also share this, follow this podcast, share it with everyone you can. And I look forward to the next time I'm going to be with you. And remember, always follow Jesus, because when you do, you will follow the truth every time. <laughs>